0: You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. I am ready to minister the Word to you, and I want you to have your faith, Released and be believing God for revelation, for insight, and uh, release your faith for the Holy Ghost to be able to minister to you. If you came in and did not receive a handout and you need to receive one, just hold your hand up. We'll get one to you. If you need a pen, we'll get one of those to you as well. Uh, But this is week number three in our series called Jesus the Healer. Say this after me. Jesus is a healer. He is the healer. Let's make it personal. He is, he is my healer. Amen. So, we're going to learn about that today and uh, get into this. But I want to just read Mark chapter 16 and verse 20. I did not again put it in the, uh, your notes or, or on the slides for you. But, Mark chapter 16 and verse 20. And here's where, or what I'm believing God to have happen. It says that after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they, the apostles, went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through signs following. So my faith is is that as we teach on Jesus, the healer, somebody's going to get healed. Amen. Are Are you believing with me for that? Well, let's look at our foundation scripture. It's found in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. Peter preaching uh, to Cornelius and his household. He summed up Jesus' ministry in one phrase and he said this, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power and went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Isn't it good that healing is good? The Bible says that he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. So Peter gives us a little insight and lets us know that sickness and disease is not from God. Sickness and disease is an oppression, a form of oppression that comes from the enemy. And Jesus came to break that oppression off of humanity. And so that's what he is anointed to do. That's what he was anointed to do. And so that's what we're studying, is Jesus, our healer. Now, I want to maybe go into a little different direction, and I felt led to do this first, and then next week, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to cover next week. How many of you, just be honest, have ever been maybe a little confused because of what you read in the Old Testament, and uh, where? are you know, and We'll look at so, a few of those scriptures today, but where it, it almost leaves you with the impression that God puts sickness and disease on people, that God brings destruction on people and all of that. And then when you've gone over to the New Testament, it looks like all of a sudden God had a personality change. Has that ever bothered you? Okay, well, I think it's, it's bothered a lot of people. So next week, we're really going to dive into that because... What I'm wanting to do this week and next week is is eliminate as many roadblocks to you being able to receive your healing as possible. Now, I want to say this. If you're here today and you are healed and well, praise God for that. Here's what I want to do, though, for you all, and that is give you information and, and revelation so you can minister healing to somebody else. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but sickness is rampant in the world. Disease is stealing, killing, and destroying people's lives every single day. And, um, you know, I think I would be remiss to to understand and to know that from the Bible and then not tell people about it. God wants you well. God wants you healed. God wants you whole. And so we're going to see some of that today. Now, Let me make a couple of statements to you, and that is this. The children of Israel, and and, and it's hard for us to understand this, being on this side of the cross and living in the New Testament, okay? But the children of Israel did not operate with an understanding of being God's sons and daughters like we do in the New Testament. That may sound, you know, familiar or, or, or weird to us, because we understand, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, even people that would be marginal church people understand, you know, that in the, in the New Testament, through what Jesus did for us, we've been made God's sons and daughters. Well, in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, they didn't believe it that way. Now, here's what they did believe. There was a, a, a belief in them that they were the sons and daughters of Abraham not necessarily God, all right? Now, again, we know that they're one and the same because we've all been brought in through the Lord Jesus Christ, but there was a line of thinking that Jesus began to introduce in his ministry that comes about as a result of being born again of us being God's sons and daughters. And I want us to understand the impact of that So when Jesus in his teaching would refer to God as Father, that sounded so odd to those Hebrew Jews that were sitting there listening to him teach. It sounds very common to us, but it was was something totally different. Because of their covenant relationship that they had with Abraham, they then had a relationship with God, But they did not see themselves as sons and daughters of God. They saw themselves as sons and daughters of Abraham. And with that covenant had certain rights and privileges to it. Now, here's the good news. In the New Testament, you've been, the Bible says in Galatians chapter 3, that we've been brought into the family. We Gentiles have been brought into the family that we are sons and daughters of Abraham as well by faith. Okay, Now, you're, you're probably not a natural-born Jew, but through what Jesus did, we've been grafted in, the Bible tells us, and so not only are we entitled to the blessings that were on Abraham's life through that covenant, but the Bible says we have a new and better covenant established upon better promises. Aren't you glad? Okay, so... God approached people in the Old Testament in light of that Abrahamic covenant, not the covenant that we have today. So you need to understand that. So as we look and begin to pull the veil back and look at some things in the Old Testament, you need to understand that God dealt with the people in the Old Testament through that Abrahamic covenant not the covenant that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. So you had the Abrahamic covenant introduced, and then what God did is he, in, uh, in dealing with the deliverance of the children of Israel, introduced them to what we know as the law. Everybody say the law. Now here's what the purpose of the law was. The purpose of the law was really God setting humanity up to realize they need a Savior. Now, I'm going to say this to you. Um, The law is impossible for a human being to be able to keep. You know, everybody's familiar with the Ten Commandments, right? Did you know there's 640 other commandments that we never hear about, nor do we talk about But what we need to understand is is it was humanly impossible for people to live by the Old Testament law. It just, it could not be done. And what God did in setting it up that way was show humanity, you can't do it on your own, but I will help you. And I will provide for you a Savior that can and will live and fulfill that law. Okay, so are you tracking with me so far? All right, now, thank you for that one person that's tracking with me. Anybody else listening and tracking with me? All right. Now, here's what I want to do, and this is kind of the theme of today's message, and that is this. Let's learn what the difference is between a promise in the Bible and a fact in the Bible, because this is going to be key to you and me being able to receive our healing. Just like it's key for you to be able to receive salvation. All right? Everybody, everybody that's saved in here, raise your hand. Okay? All right? Well, I'm going to leave that punchline. Remember that thought just for a moment. Let's talk about what is a promise. All right? So let, I just looked it up in the dictionary. Here is the definition of a promise. A promise is a declaration that one will do or refrain from doing something specified. So, a promise is something that if I were to make you a promise, I am going to promise you that I will do something, or in the light of this definition, or I won't do something. That is what a promise is based on. So, you know, if you need somebody to promise you that they're going to do something or, or, you know, maybe as a kid you were sworn to secrecy and somebody would say, you promise to keep it a secret and you say, yes, I promise. Well, what are you promising? You're promising that you will not reveal that secret, okay? So that is what a promise is. So the key to a promise is that something will happen. Now, is that past tense, present tense, or future tense? That something will happen. Is that past, present, or future? It's future. Okay, it has not happened yet. It is future, all right? Now, write this down, please. First thing. Redemption and salvation as we know it, on this side of the cross, was a promise of something to come in the Old Testament. Salvation was not available to the Old Testament people in the light of what we know as salvation. In other words, you could not be born again under the Old Testament. Okay, so it's real important that we understand that. Being born again and salvation as we know it is something that came about as a result of Jesus' death, burial, and ultimately his resurrection. His resurrection is what paved the way for you and me to be able to be saved or to be born again, okay? So the promise that in the Old Testament about salvation always looked to the future, in other words, on the other side of the cross, in before the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, people in the Old Testament began to get glimpses of what Jesus was going to do, but they were always looking forward to it because it hadn't happened yet, okay? Do you understand that? All right, so let's look at some promises, and, and I just took three or four, so you could, there's hundreds, okay, but three or four just for the sake of our study this morning. So let's look at Ezekiel chapter 11, verses 19 and 20. This is the prophet of God who was given some revelation and God says to him by the Holy Ghost, talking about what will happen. He says, then I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Now, this is all symbolic in the meaning of when you got saved, God literally didn't come in and pull your heart out and put a new one in. He's talking spiritually. Verse 20, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. So Ezekiel got a glimpse of something that was going to happen but had not happened yet. All right, let's look in the same book of Ezekiel and let's look at Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27. And the scripture says, uh, God again, speaking by the Spirit through Ezekiel, said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh then I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Now, again, think about it with me for just a second. To us, especially us church folks, this is so old hat to us. We understand it because of a little bit of knowledge in the New Testament and understanding what was done for us through Jesus But think about it from an Old Testament prophet standpoint, when God speaks and he says something like, I'm going to put a new spirit within you, my spirit is going to come and live in you. Can you imagine what that sounded to him as he was uttering the words out of his mouth by the Holy Ghost? That probably sounded so foreign. Why? Because it's a promise of something that had not happened yet. Okay? Okay. Let's look at another one, Joel chapter 2. Now, this is a scripture that Peter preached from on the day of Pentecost. But look at Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. It says this, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams your young men shall see visions, and also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Well again, those of us who on this side of the cross, on this side of the resurrection, and on this side of Pentecost, and those of us who have received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, this sounds normal to us. But to an Old Testament prophet, this was totally foreign because it is a promise, of something that has not yet happened. Drop down to verse 32 in that same verse, or same chapter rather, and Joel said this, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be deliverance as the Lord has said among the remnant whom the Lord calls. Again, we understand this because we're on this side of it. And we're experiencing this. In other words, you can get born again now. But when Joel prophesied this, it was a promise and he was looking forward in time to something that had not happened yet by the Holy Spirit, okay? Are you tracking with me? Okay, so here's what I want you to see. Write this down, please. We must understand the difference between a promise of redemption and the fact, everybody say fact, fact that redemption has already taken place. Okay, so we must understand the difference between a promise of redemption and the fact that redemption has already taken place. Okay, so listen, I cannot overemphasize to you enough uh, the importance of you and me getting this down in our hearts because this is going to help you so much where receiving from God is concerned and especially receiving healing in your body. Okay, so so we, we understand what a promise is. A promise is something that somebody makes or declares of something that they will do. Now let's look and see what a fact is. A fact is the truth about events that have transpired. Facts are truth about events that have already transpired. In other words, it is based on something that has happened, not something that will happen, okay? Now, um, I was... <laughs> I got a little law school training while I was studying for this because I've heard this, you know, on crime shows on television and I didn't understand what it meant until I was studying this and it was like the light came on, okay? So anybody ever heard on on one of those crime television programs, you know, like Law and Order, all that, that, you know, all right? You ever heard somebody say, that he was guilty of being an accessory after the fact. Anybody ever heard that before? What does that mean? That means that after the event happened, whatever it was, this person aided in the rest of the event after it already happened. In other words, they tried to cover it up or they did something like that. Or you might have heard this phrase, He was guilty of being an accessory before the fact, meaning that he helped plan it and helped carry it out but was part of it before the event actually took place. So the the key word in those two phrases is the word fact. Okay? So understand, a promise is something a a, a declaration that's made of something that has yet to take place, has not taken place, a fact is truth about an event that has already transpired, okay? So, write this down, please. Understanding what we have, have covered so far, write this down. Salvation is no longer a promise. It is a fact Of the completed work of redemption. So let me say this to you. If you're clinging to the promise of getting saved, we need to talk, okay? Because you don't get saved clinging to a promise of salvation to come. You get saved because you believe the fact has already happened. Let me ask you a question, just a pop quiz. Has Jesus already died on the cross? Has he already been buried? Has he already been resurrected? Has he already ascended to heaven? Okay. Then it is a fact that those things have happened because we believe what the Bible says. All right. So salvation before those events took place was a promise. On this side of those events taking place, it is now a fact. And your belief in Jesus is based on a fact, not a promise. It's very important that you understand this. Okay, and again, I cannot emphasize this enough. All right, so write this down, please. To be saved, we don't receive the promise of salvation. We put our faith in the completed work of Jesus for our salvation. Okay, so our faith is based on facts, not promises in salvation, where salvation is concerned. Okay, all right. Now, Romans 10, 9 and 10, you know these verses. It says this, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that salvation is coming, that Jesus will provide it for you, then you'll be saved. Is that what it says? No, it says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In other words, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that the fact has already happened, then you'll be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is is made unto salvation. Okay? So are we clear? In the Old Testament, salvation was a promise. In other words, all the Hebrew people, all the Jewish people, all of the prophets in the Old Testament, all of the folks before Jesus came had to look forward to something that had not yet taken place. But, we on this side of the cross in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord, we look at it as something that has taken place and it is a fact, okay? All right, now, so since we understand that, let's go to the Old Testament and look at a handful of scriptures that promise healing to the people in the Old Testament, Okay, now remember, a promise is a declaration of something that has not yet transpired. It has not yet taken place. It will happen, all right? So in Exodus chapter 15 and verse 26, the Lord said this to the children of Israel, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes I will put none of the diseases. That should be, and we'll talk more about this next week, but that should be translated, I will allow none of the diseases on you which I have allowed on the Egyptians for I am the Lord who heals you. Okay, so here's what the promise was. The promise was, if you hear what I say, you obey and do what I say, then I will be the Lord who heals you. See, they knew him as deliverer. He brought them out of Egypt, delivered them from slavery, and now he's made another promise to them as hey, if you will listen to me and obey and do what I tell you to do, I will also be your healer. Promise. Okay? Do you see that? Let's look at another one Exodus chapter 23 and verse 25. God made them another promise. So you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of you. Okay, so again, if you obey me, if you serve the Lord with your heart, then he will bless your bread and your water, and I will promise, take sickness away from the midst of you. Okay, that's a promise of healing under the Old Testament, okay? Now, let's look at a very familiar Psalm, Psalm 91, okay, where God, ton of promises in that, in that Psalm. Psalm 91, verse 5, you shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. He also goes on to say later on in that same chapter that you don't have to suffer or be afraid of the plague that happens. Okay, so again, this is a promise of divine protection, a promise of healing, a promise that, remember also in this uh, chapter, he said he'll give his angels charge over you. That's a promise, okay? All looking forward to something that has not yet happened. And so what, what the, the psalmist wrote, what, and actually Moses wrote this psalm, he was receiving from heaven promises to make to the children of Israel, okay? And you know the psalm, Psalm 91 begins with, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So the condition for this promise was abide in me, live in me, stay in my presence. And if you do, then all these promises I make to you. All right? Here's another one that we all probably know Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5. One of my favorite Psalms. David wrote, and he said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So here's the benefits of serving God I will forgive all your iniquities who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So, in the Old Testament, promises were made to them that were largely conditional And that God promised he would do something for them. He would provide for them. He would protect them. He would be their healer. He would be their shield and buckler. He would be their peace. He would be everything that they have need of. I promise you is what God was saying to the children of Israel. So, write this down, please. In the Old Testament, healing was a conditional promise of something that God would do for his people largely based on their obedience. So if they would serve and obey and live for God with all of their heart, then the promises that God had made could come to pass in their lives. We have examples where people experience that. You know, one of the things that... Um, I love, and and Moses at the time of his death at 120 years old, the Bible says his strength did not wane, nor did his vision grow dim. You know at 120 years old when you don't have to wear glasses? That's pretty good. And you're as strong as you were when you were 50 and 60 and so, that's pretty good, okay? All right? By the way, God's no respecter of persons and... You live under a better covenant. I'm just saying, okay, I'll let you stew on that one for a little bit, all right? Now, what happened is, in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God began to move on people called prophets, as we've already talked about, who began to look forward and began to declare something was getting ready to happen And of course, we know it was the arrival of the Lord Jesus and what he was going to accomplish. Now, the prophet Isaiah, probably in Isaiah 52, 53, 54, and 55, wrote some of the most descriptive uh, things about what Jesus was going to accomplish, and I'm talking about hundreds of years before Jesus ever showed up. And, and really put some things out there. But again, it's looking forward to something that's going to happen. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 3. And Isaiah, speaking by the Spirit of God, says this. He was despised, not he, Isaiah, he, the one who's coming. He was despised and rejected and forsaken by man, men, a man of sorrows and pains Acquainted with grief and sickness, like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we did not appreciate his worth or have any esteem for him. Now, I want to ask you a question. Isaiah begins to give us a little glimpse of something here. Do we have record in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John where Jesus got sick one time? No, he didn't. Okay? Now, but what does it say here? It says that he was a man of sorrows and pains and acquainted with grief and sickness. He was acquainted with it. He had no intimate relationship with it. He was acquainted with it. Now, what's interesting is in a chapter filled with talking about what Jesus would accomplish on the cross, sandwiched in the middle there, is Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 and 5. And I want to read it to you from the Amplified because it's so clear. Look at, and keep in mind, this is from then looking forward to something that's going to happen. Isaiah 53 verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs, our sicknesses, our weaknesses, our distresses, and carried our sorrows and pains of punishment. Yet we ignorantly considered him stricken, smitten, and afflicted by God as if with leprosy. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our guilt and iniquities. The chastisement needful to obtain peace and well-being for us was upon him. And with the stripes that wounded him, we are healed and made whole. Now, let me just say something to you. When you read these verses right here, Isaiah approaches it, of course, by the Holy Spirit as if it's already taken place. You know why? Because Romans chapter four tells us God calls those things which be not as though they already were, all right? So he's already begun declaring what Jesus will Let me read that last verse that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our guilt and iniquities. The chastisement needful to obtain peace and well-being for us was upon him. And with the stripes that wounded him. Let me ask you, when Isaiah wrote this, had Jesus even come yet? No, but notice he's referring to it like it's already happened. He says, and with the stripes that wounded him, we are healed and made whole, okay? Now, l- write this down for me, please. On this side of the cross, we see that the word spoken about has happened and is completed for us. going will say that again. On this side of the cross, we see that the work spoken about in that we just read about in Isaiah has already happened and is completed for us. So again, let me say this to you. Your salvation, your new birth is based on your faith in a fact that has already taken place. Do you agree? Okay, all right. So what Isaiah just got through telling us was that that what Jesus was going to do covered more than just our spiritual condition. Did it not? Okay. All right, let's go and let's look. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24, Peter writing this epistle, he quotes what Isaiah said. Uh, Peter wrote this in 1 Peter 2, 24. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Not are, were. Isaiah said, by his stripes you are healed. Peter talks about it as though it has already happened, as though it is a fact and not a promise. Okay? Now, listen, I've heard the argument, uh, well, pastor, you know, 1 Peter 2.24 doesn't talk about physical healing. It's a spiritual healing. Okay, well, hold that thought. I love... Uh, Pastor Rick Renner, you've heard me quote from him a lot. Let me read a couple of of paragraphs of commentary that he wrote based on what the Greek says in 1 Peter 2.24. He said this, in 1 Peter 2.24, by the way, this is from his book, The Sparkling Gems of the Greek. I highly, highly recommend that to you. It's a devotional, a year-long devotional, and it would be a great book for you to have in your library. So he wrote this. He said in 1 Peter 2.24, the apostle Peter quoted Isaiah 53, verse 5. He told his readers, by whose stripes you were healed. The word stripes used in this verse is the Greek word malopsi, which describes a full-body bruise. Anybody ever fallen and gotten bruised real bad? Okay. Jesus had a bruise that went from head to toe. It refers to a terrible lashing that draws blood and that produces discoloration and swelling of the entire body. When Peter wrote this verse, he wasn't speaking by revelation. He was speaking by memory. He saw it happen. For he vividly remembered what happened to Jesus that night and what his physical appearance looked like after his scourging. After graphically reminding us of the beating, the bleeding, and bruising that Jesus endured, Peter jubilantly declared that it was by these same stripes that we are healed. The word healed is the Greek word, iomai, and it means a word that clearly refers to physical healing as it is a word borrowed from the medical term to describe the physical healing or curing of the human body. There is no way in the Greek language that 1 Peter 2.24 is referring to your spirit. It is referring to your physical body. For those who think the promise refers to spiritual healing only, the Greek word emphatically speaks of the healing of a physical condition, This is a real declaration of bodily healing that belongs to all who have been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, okay? Now, here's what I want to submit to you today. Write this down, please. Healing is something that is already purchased and the work is already done. Okay, now, and I'm going to clarify this in the coming lessons because I want to make it crystal clear for you. Healing for the believer has already been taken care of. It's been bought. It's been paid for. The work is already completed just like it was for your salvation. Okay, now let's, let's backtrack for just a moment. We said earlier, That the way you got saved, the way you got born again, is you believed in your heart in a work, a fact that has already transpired and that Jesus has already accomplished in his death, burial, and resurrection. And because of believing in that fact, you are saved, right? Didn't we agree on that? Come on, say it a little stronger. Okay, all right, well then... I would submit to you today that healing was bought and paid for at the same time and by the stripes of Jesus that he already bore. It's a fact. You were healed. Now, what I'm hoping to do is to change your thinking because a lot of times in our lives as New Testament believers, we approach salvation as something that's already done and we just have to receive it. But where healing is concerned, we approach it as something that is yet to take place and we're the sick trying to get healed. Okay? If you did that where your salvation is concerned, you're still lost. Okay? I'm going to say this to you. You are not the sick trying to get healed you are the healed and the devil wants you sick is that clear for you just like okay you're saved you are born again and but you know and we know from scripture that when you got saved you quit being a sinner and you became a christian you became a believer so the same thing is true. In other words, you got saved, you're free from sin, but the devil wants to keep you living in sin. Why? Because he knows it hinders your relationship with God. But you can walk free from sin because you're a Christian. And Jesus already freed and delivered you from sin. Right? Okay. I'm not speaking Chinese, Emma. Okay or some foreign language you don't understand, all right? No disrespect to the Chinese, okay? But let me say it this way. The same thing is true where your healing is concerned. Can I say it to you this way? Quit trying to obtain something that has not happened and begin to look at it as though it already has happened, and I just need to believe it and receive it like I did my salvation. Okay? Let me me show you a a verse in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12. Just the first part of that, it says this, Timothy wrote, or Paul wrote Timothy rather, and he said, fight the good fight of faith. And notice what he said, lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So, So Paul tells Timothy, in the fight of faith, You lay hold of something, but implied in that is also you receive it, you lay hold of it, and you refuse to let it go. Okay? Now, very often we see ourselves, let me put it up there, we see ourselves as people who don't have something and we're trying to get it. Okay? Now, let me say this to you. You need to live right. You need to obey the word of God. Okay? Listen to me carefully. But your good behavior, your living or trying to live a holy lifestyle does not purchase healing for you any more than it purchases your salvation. You live right. You live a holy lifestyle because you are saved. Okay? So what I'm saying to you is this. Healing was just as much an act of grace that was given to us as salvation was, and we receive it the same way. So I'm going to mimic what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, for you are healed by faith through grace and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Okay? (laughs) All right, so write this down. I said this already. But healing is already yours and the enemy would like to keep you from receiving it or take from you what is already yours. Excuse me. All right. Now, I'm going to just, I'm going to say something else to you. I don't mean to short circuit your thinking. Okay. But the same time that your salvation was bought and paid for, your healing was bought and paid for, your peace was bought and paid for, your provision was bought and paid for, everything that Jesus Bore on the cross and paid for you in the plan of redemption already belongs to you. Stop seeing yourself as someone who is struggling and begging and scratching and clawing, trying to receive something that already is yours. Right, am I helping anybody? Okay. All right. Let's, let's wrap this up. First Peter 2:24. Okay. Um, again, let me read this verse. He who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we having died to sins might live for righteousness and by whose stripes you were healed. Is that past tense? Okay. So you're not, let's say you, you, you get up in the morning and you don't feel good. Okay. All right. Um, What do you do in that situation? Well, you don't try and receive something or beg God to heal you or even approach it from the standpoint of something that you're trying to get. It already belongs to you. It's yours. It has your name on it. And you simply receive it the same way. Listen, what if you woke up in the morning and you didn't feel quite so saved? Do you fall down on your knees and repent and ask God to have mercy on your soul and to save you and all that? No, you don't do that. If you don't feel saved, you know what you do? You keep moving because you are saved, whether you feel like it or not. Well, there's the same price paid for your healing. If you woke up in the morning and you didn't feel good, then does that mean you're not healed? No. It just means I got something going on in my body, but I'm going to keep moving and receive my healing and declare, I am healed, just like I am saved. Hallelujah. All right, now here's the last thing I want to see, and then we're gonna say, and then we're gonna receive communion. Begin to see yourself as someone who was healed. And if you were healed, then you are healed. So listen. You're not, when you stand up and you say something like, Lord, I thank you, I am healed in my body from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. You're not lying, you are. The Bible says you are. Just like, you know, when you stand up and you declare, I am the righteousness of God from my head to my feet. Okay, you're not lying, you are. Jesus made you that way. So what I want us to begin to do is to quit struggling to receive something that already belongs to us and is established on a fact and not a promise. Now, let me say this to you. But my, if he, Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. That's a promise, That's a promise based on something that God will do for you, okay? There's all kinds of promises in the New Testament and there's still promises that apply to us in the Old Testament. But healing is not a promise for us in the New Testament. It is a fact. So you're not looking forward to something that has has not happened yet. You're looking back on something that has already happened and it already belongs to you. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.